93.9 The Eagle, broadcasting live from the Zimmer Radio Group World Headquarters. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry. This city is my city, and I love it, yeah, I love it. Get ready for interviews with movers and shakers from our community as we dive in for a deeper look inside Columbia. Now, here's your host, Fred Perry. And welcome to the CEO Roundtable. So glad that you have joined us this weekend. Uh, I am very pleased to... Uh, tell you that I've got a great guest in the studio this weekend. Uh, we are visiting with Mike Murphy, who is the publisher of Como Buzz. And uh, if you've not heard of Como Buzz, uh, I think you're going to be very interested. We're going to take a little about that. Mike, I've had you on uh, the show when I have filled in for Mike Ferguson and Dr. Randy Tobler and Brandon Rather, but I've never had you on the CEO Roundtable. So welcome to the CEO Roundtable. Thanks. Uh, glad to have you with us. Uh, tell us uh, a little bit about your background. I'm a career newspaper guy. Right after college, got my first job as a reporter. Uh, was a reporter, writer, uh, editorial writer, columnist, copy editor. Did about everything there was to do on the news side of things. Became an editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, after about 10 years in, I decided to move over to the business side. Became a uh, ad director and then a director of sales and marketing and ultimately a publisher. Yeah. Uh, you and I have a similar career path. We both uh, cross over uh, to the dark side. Uh, I started off as a reporter also and uh, uh, decided that uh, I needed money. So I started selling ads and kind of fell in love with selling ads and and uh, ended up on the, the business side of the newspaper business, which uh, uh, has been pretty tough uh, for the last 20 years. But uh Great to have you here. And, and I tell you, uh, you are filling a very important void in our community. And uh, I want my listeners to know uh, what's uh, what's happening with your publication, uh, your uh, comobuzz.com, uh, C-O-M-O-B-U-Z, uh, one Z on the buzz. Um, and uh, you've, you uh, published a, a great article this week that we're going to talk about extensively. But uh, tell us what Como Buzz is and uh, uh, how it all works. Como Buzz is my vision of what a content site would be in the post newspaper world. Mm-hmm. So I've been a content guy my whole life, and now uh, I'm starting something um, fresh here in Columbia that uh, I want to. Uh, there's a real initiative going on in our business to see if we can sell content online. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's people having some success with it, and I'm a believer that if the content is of good enough quantity, that people will pay to read it yeah so i'm trying to uh prove that here you said quantity but uh so quantity what about the quality well quality you have to have the quantity to keep people coming back that's what's on my mind i Ah. have some um i have i'm really happy with my quality Mm -hmm. i have to improve my quantity that's what makes that paywall work is people coming back uh and and there being something there that they just really feel that they need to read right that's the number of subscribers that you have correct yeah um it's interesting what you're doing does not have a name yet and so we we, we're going to have to come up with a name for it maybe we'll make a lot of money if we invent the name yeah i've been calling it for the the best description i can come up with is an online magazine Mm -hmm. it's not a it's not a newspaper and it's not a full service news site um, the heart and soul of it is uh, politics, local government, mm-hmm. but we surround that with uh, culture. So uh, our little slogan is eat, drink, vote. And I try to stay focused <laughs> along those lines. We cover the restaurants and yeah. restaurant industry, entertainment, live music. And then um, 
things that I think people need to know that's going on with local government. I'm trying to engage them. You know, we don't have enough people showing up to vote mm-hmm. and it's it's having an impact and I think that I'm in a position that perhaps I can make a difference there and at this point in my life I've come full circle you know I've I've been reporter to you know publisher to mm-hmm. uh, corporate executive and yep. now I'm back to uh, content and I'm really enjoying it yeah you know um, one of the uh, we're gonna get to talk about a story here that that uh, uh, broke this week with you that I, I think is really really important that's actually an editorial piece but um, I shared this story with you the last time we visited offline, uh, off the air, but I'm going to share it on online because I think it's, uh, I think it's important for people to know this, but it's sort of about the, it's about the demise of local media. And I, uh, my wife and I were attending a magazine publishers conference, uh, down in Florida, uh, earlier this year. And, and I found myself sitting at the same table with, uh, uh, a gentleman who, uh, is now the publisher of Boston magazine and Philadelphia magazine, but, uh, in a previous life, not very long ago, uh, he was the CEO of Gatehouse Media. And he was the CEO of Gatehouse Media when they purchased the Columbia Daily Tribune. And I know you were a former executive with Gatehouse Media, and uh, I think you share his sentiment that things did not go very well in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, when he saw my name tag, and we sat next to each other for most of, of uh, two days, uh, when he saw my name tag, and saw that I was from Columbia, Missouri, I will tell you that his face drained. He was embarrassed because he knew that the transition that took place here in Columbia, Missouri was, as he describes it, maybe one of the worst in Columbia history, in, in, in Gatehouse uh, history. And so um, there were serious things that uh, took place. Uh, it hasn't been, you know, Gatehouse gets kind of mixed reviews. Uh, they have to come in and make the operation more efficient because things have changed dramatically uh, in recent years. Um, but in some markets, it goes a lot better than in other markets. Columbia wasn't a very successful market. Do you feel comfortable talking about the transition in Columbia and why that was not successful? Sure. My one-year non-compete is up. Uh, okay. I'm, fully, I'm fully paid. I, <laughs> can can say whatever, now. <laughs> I can say whatever I want now. Yeah. Um, it's as simple as this, I think. Gate, Gatehouse, unlike in that, so the rest of the story is Gatehouse and Gannett merged a couple years later, but Gatehouse at the time was like a Wild West kind of company, uh, very little central uh, uh, corporate structure. And what it really came down to is whoever the executive was who happened to inherit the deal, he was running it. And if that executive um, wasn't very good at it and started making some bad decisions because he just wasn't experienced at it or didn't, over really, his head. didn't yeah. really know what he was doing. Yeah. And that leads to hires that don't know what they're doing. And mm-hmm. it all just kind of cascaded. And in very short order, the place became populated with um, a handful of managers who didn't know, you know, didn't do a very good job. And the decisions they made were pretty much disastrous. And it fell apart pretty fast. And by the time the gatehouse found out that they had put the wrong person in here, uh, it was pretty far into the process, and and there had been significant collateral damage. And then my understanding is that they replaced it, replaced that person with another person that really wasn't that exceptional either. It, yeah, it took some time to really try to get it right here in Columbia. Yeah, I think up until uh, maybe a 
a, well, it's almost two years ago now, and they, they pretty much have given up, and they don't even have a market leader, really. But mm-hmm. that's not that unusual the way things are set up in, in, the, in the corporation now. But, yeah, basically, there's people here who report to somebody either in maybe Springfield, Missouri, or Des Moines, Iowa, or mm-hmm. they have a, a boss somewhere there who kind of looks over the place, and uh, they just kind of chug along. Uh, once you become irrelevant and nobody cares anymore, there's not really any mistakes they can make. Yeah. So there's just really not much going on. Over yeah, there. yeah. So you published an editorial this week uh, that I think is is great, and people can find it right now if they go to uh, comobuzz dot com, c o m o b u z dot com. And uh, I, I don't want to seem over promotional. You know, I, I I'm uh, my wife and I are you know in the, in the magazine publishing business in this community for almost 30 years and and uh i you know como buzz in some respects is is a competing media but you are filling such a vital need a void in our community that i uh, because i love columbia and i want columbia and boone county to prosper i want people to have an understanding of what's actually happening in our in our community because i think that a lot of us have just frankly checked out and uh, we've gone to uh media sources that just uh, don't uh, give us the information that we need. And so we don't bother even checking anymore. And so every now and then the Tribune of the Missourian might have a story, but so many of us have checked out that we just, we, we may not see it. And, uh, but, but you, you have a, uh, uh, an opinion piece called newspapers peddling what little influence they have left. And uh, that uh, came out on Thursday, May 5th. And, and, uh, Talk a little bit about the background of that story. Why, why was it necessary for you to write about this issue? Well, I actually didn't want to write about it. I, I don't want to position myself as a media critic. I, right. well, for the most part, I don't think people care. Uh, so, But I'm paying close attention to government, uh, and I want people to care more. I think you're right. People don't know what's going on with their local government. Mm-hmm. And when they don't, the activists began ruling because there's nobody to check the activists. And I think the biggest issue, I said it all through the election, there's this little defund the police movement in Colombia that is very, very, very real. And it's not necessarily as sinister as it sounds. It's simply a matter of there's there's people that, well-intentioned people, activists, who believe we should be moving money from police budgets to social service budgets. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily take issue with that, and that's not where I'm going. Where where I came upon this week was a prominent American newspaper, the Kansas City Star, uh, had a reporter parachute into town and write a story that very, very much parroted the talking points of the defund the police movement. Mm-hmm. Raised my eyebrows, but I didn't really care. And then I learned a couple of days later that, you know, she quoted the she said the police chief and the mayor didn't talk to her and i found out that that wasn't true so i started looking more into the story and kind of checking her facts and i found out that her basic facts were incorrect you know she wanted to make a case that gun deaths are are up and actually they're down Mm -hmm. but more importantly what i came upon was this idea that the kansas city star is now being funded they're 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 taking donations Mm -hmm to fund their operation while they're taking donations from activist organizations. And it so happens that this story pretty much parroted the exact talking points of the activist organization that paid them. Yeah. I want to come back to that. Uh, What do we know about this reporter? Does she have any connection to Columbia? Was she a journalism student here? Yeah. She's young. She she graduated in 18 uh, from, from, from MU. Yep. 
Okay, so she, um, uh, so it, it wasn't like she picked Columbia randomly, that Columbia has a worse problem than any other uh, city in America, especially Kansas City. Uh, but uh, she uh, came in and she decided to, uh, to, to basically try to create a narrative about defunding the police here in Columbia, Missouri, and, and how a, uh, and the impression that she's created is that there's a growing majority of citizens that want to defund our local police department. And so the Kansas City Star is currently taking funding from a couple of different organizations. Can you, can you tell us the names of those organizations? And, and they are specifically, their mission is to, uh, stop gun violence and, uh, Tell us a little bit about the organizations that are that are pouring money into this project. There's two. They're both very legitimate, and neither one of them have really done anything wrong. One is called Report for America, and it is a nonprofit that raises money to help place reporters in towns and at newspapers where the newspaper doesn't exist anymore as a way to you know, support democracy, and uh, they're concerned with all the issues that what happens when you don't have a newspaper, which is curious. Columbia happens to have yeah, two dailies. Two, but the smallest town in America with that, two competing daily yeah. newspapers, and they decide to parachute a yeah. reporter into this market. Yeah. Yeah. But they, uh, the other one is the Missouri Foundation for Health, which is a huge philanthropic uh, organization that donates millions and millions of dollars to causes to support public health initiatives in Missouri. And that was funded. Uh, a lot of people may have forgotten this while Jay Nixon was governor. It was funded uh, when uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield decided to become a private company and they were forced to uh, set aside a pretty significant endowment to fund and support public health. But now gun violence is now considered, uh, according to their core values, gun, gun violence is now a public health issue. Yes, and there's a legitimate uh, discussion there that it should be treated like a public health issue, uh, and maybe there might be a chance to make some progress against it. That's a debatable topic, and people, you know, uh, good people should debate that topic. What's, you know, disturbing is that, you know, the Kansas City Star is acting more as an activist itself than it is as a news operation Mm -hmm. is kind of my point of this whole thing, and I think that's very alarming and then i just really take issue having spent a career in in journalism and trying to be uh constantly challenged to be a uh, uh, stand up for things that are right and correct with integrity and to see somebody now funding reporters to come in and a very poor quality uh very not well done story show up that that just reflects the views of the people paying you. Yeah. That's maybe in some small town somewhere that happens, but at the Kansas City Star? Yeah, it should not be happening. And yeah. I, you know, I cut you off because there, there's more than just the uh, Missouri Health Foundation. There's also uh, uh, the Missouri Gun Violence Project, which is a, uh, a partnership between the Star and Report for America, correct? No, that's the name of the project okay. that, that the uh, foundation funded. Okay. So the way I envision it, is uh, the Kansas City Star goes to these two organizations, pitches the product, the project. Uh, the project lines up with the values of both, so they get the money. They come back. They're not particularly competent at executing the you know very large project that they set out to do. So what you see is just kind of some shoddy results that parrot, for lack of a better word, the the views of. 
the foundation. Yeah, when we come back from this break, we'll continue our conversation with Mike Murphy, and we'll talk about uh, some other funding that uh, mysteriously ended up in this project and, and uh, what that's all about. Uh, you may be surprised to know where that's coming from. This is the CEO Roundtable. You're listening to 93.9 The Eagle. People too are mess around. They're doing the mess around. If you've ever this is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry on Hot Talk 939 The Eagle. And welcome back to the CEO Roundtable. Uh, we are continuing our conversation with Mike Murphy, the publisher of Como Buzz. Uh, C-O-M-O-B-U-Z dot com. Check it out. Uh, we're talking about a piece that came out this week about uh, this article that appeared in the Kansas City Star and then reprinted by the Columbia Daily Tribune, uh, really uh, promoting a narrative. Now, um, I read in in your uh, your editorial that came out that um, uh, this other uh, organization. Uh, 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 Tell me how the University of Missouri School of Journalism uh, is. Uh, they're listed as one of the uh, a, one of the big contributors to Report for America. Uh, Four hundred eighty thousand dollars. Help me understand that connection. I'm guessing that uh, Report for America has. Well, I know for a fact, Support for America has support for many people interested in journalism and placing uh, journalists in these uh, small operations small newspapers around the country. So there's an honorable aspect here, uh, I think, in the beginning that they would raise money to actually pay to have reporters at newspapers. I don't know what their end game possibly could be, and, and I, I think they just perhaps didn't think it through that if you're going to start paying journalists for content, it's going to be hard to keep this thing mm-hmm. pure. Well... The bottom line is, is the MU School of Journalism through the Walton Foundation uh, gave them four hundred eighty thousand dollars in seed money to get started. Is what it simply yeah. amounts to. I don't see anything sinister there. At worst, what I see is maybe something that's misguided. Yeah, yeah. So it, it you know, it, it's okay if you want to look at supporting local journalism as a charity. That's one thing, but when you dictate. That uh, part of your uh, mission must be uh, showing this connection between guns and violence and public health. Um, and then you go in and, and I, I, I want to just elaborate a little bit more. The reporter put in the article that she had tried repeatedly to reach Mayor Brian Treese. Truth of the matter is, the mayor said, I'm not going to talk to you over the phone. I'd be happy to do an in-person interview, but I'm not going to talk to you over the phone. Worse, he even said that on an earlier topic. So for this specific specific story, I don't believe she even attempted to contact him. Is how I right. read that correction. And then uh, she spelled the police chief's name wrong, uh, which yeah. is uh, one thing. Uh, but uh, really, uh, an interview with the police chief would have revealed that the number of uh, gun deaths in our community had been on the decline. Well, it's... A little bit of research, and it's not that easy. And, and you can uh, talk, and they can talk around in circles. What exactly we're counting here? Mm-hmm. Uh, homicides? Does it include suicides? But the bottom line is, uh, in gun deaths, it went from twelve to nine to six, and is at two uh, this so far this year. So from nineteen, it peaked at twelve, then it dropped to nine, then it dropped to six. Mm-hmm. 
That's just like the fact of the matter. But that's nowhere in her story. Her story says there's been 48 over the last five years, the peak at 12, and that it, uh, she actually says it's increasing, and that's part of the outrage, and the city council is doing nothing to get to this narrative that they need to be spending money on these social services. Yeah, they need to spend their American Rescue Plan money on uh, social services. And, and uh, uh, so here's where it affects the CEOs who are listening to this radio program. Uh, this is a story that gets printed in the Kansas City Star. Still pretty good circulation online and, and in print. Uh, where are the newspapers uh, printed this article that you know of? I think only the this article was only printed in the Columbia Tribune. Okay. Many of their articles, they have a partnership with the Post-Dispatch and with the Springfield News Leader mm-hmm. to regularly report on the work from this project. Yeah. So Kansas City, which is one of the biggest markets for uh, uh, Mizzou recruiting students to come to this market, to come to the university, uh, parents read this article and they're like going, what is this craziness in Columbia, Missouri, where the majority of the population seems to be intent on defunding the police? I am not sending my son or daughter to the University of Missouri. Plus the crime aspect, it makes it sound like a very, very, very dangerous place when in 2021, we had six gun homicides. Not to minimize any of that, but it's the the hype and hysteria doesn't hold up to the facts. Right. So, anyway, it's it's disappointing. And and I guess the 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 thing is is that I I think that one of the things that I want to point out is that even though the Columbia Tribune is not owned by the same people that own the Kansas City Star, they pick up and they repeat this article verbatim. Uh, on their pages, okay, and so uh, it's uh, in some respects it's lazy journalism. Uh, it's it is lazy journalism, lazy reporting on the part of this reporter, uh, one of our graduates from the University of Missouri School of Journalism. But um, so this this false narrative just keeps getting promoted and repeated and and so forth. And and you know it's really uh, if I were the University of Kansas or University of Illinois or Missouri State. Uh, boy, I would be paying uh, to promote this article all over the Midwest, you know, because it's uh, what parent might read this article and say, yeah, I'm going to send my kid to Mizzou. And so uh, this is really this is really disappointing. But um, anyway, that, that's the business angle for me, at least. But um, so you spent quite a bit of time, it sounds like, digging into this. I mean, that's something that is and, and that's really kind of the lost art. That's what we have sacrificed by uh, uh, the decay of local journalism in our community. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm hoping there's a market for it. I think there is. Uh, at one time in my life, I was very good at it. And then, of course, went on and did something else, mm-hmm. but never left it, never left the business, never left being involved with it. And I've seen it become a, a dying art. Uh, there's hardly anybody out there with skills anymore who does this type of work. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I enjoy it. It's fun. And uh, I think it's important, uh, and, and you can see it, you, you know, you're a reader of Como Buzz, and you can see I'm starting to pile up some stories now that are pretty impactful and really need to be told in our town. Yeah. And my mission is, along with, you know, building this business and trying to prove that this can be done, is I would really like to, I, I go to uh, every city council meeting and lots of other meetings, and I watch how the public is totally disengaged and how... The interest groups are are making things happen. If that doesn't stop, the interest groups are pretty much running everything, and it becomes mm-hmm. sillier and sillier. Yeah. And I think we have big election coming up this this summer, this fall, 
we have to get people re-engaged in what's going on in their town and paying attention. And I actually think we might have to make them angry to get them to pay yeah. attention. Uh, no and, question. And that's kind of, I'm, I'm trying to fill that role. Yeah. So on this particular article, as, as a journalist, as a trained journalist, what's the most disappointing aspect of this story to you, of, of, you know, of, of this situation to you? What, 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 what do you find most disturbing? That I think a journalist purposely distorted facts to fill a narrative is one thing. Mm-hmm. And then number two, and, and the reason I feel like I kind of lowered whatever boom I have on them is I don't like this idea of exchanging money. Uh, I think a, a core value in journalism is you you steer away from anything that looks like impropriety. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's part of our, our code. You, you, you don't want to be, a, you don't want to give any impression that you can be purchased for goodness sake. Mm-hmm. And now they're, it's as they enter their final days, I guess, somehow in this desperation, it's somehow okay to do this. And I just don't think so. Yeah. I, and I try to look at the hierarchy of the newsroom and I, I think about what happens here, e- even in a student journalism environment like we have at the Columbia Missourian. Um, you know, you can have a rogue reporter that clearly has an agenda, but you know, that you think could be curtailed or neutralized at the copy editing standpoint, where you have a grown up uh, editing the newspaper, a grown up who understands journalistic values. Um, and, uh, but obviously at the Kansas City Star, they're, they're, this wasn't caught in the copy editing uh, process. Yeah, I'm kind of, I mentioned in the story, I'm pretty shocked at that. Uh, the most inexperienced and amateurish of editors should have noticed the big flaws in this story mm-hmm. right off right off yeah. the bat and it not only did it end up in print but then it ends up distributed uh like to the columbia tribune an interesting thing the kansas city star made a correction then they they corrected this part where about talking to the mayor the correction never made it to the columbia tribune yeah. you can go back yeah. and see the tribune online today and it's yeah. st- still there yeah. what do you think happened uh do you think the mayor former mayor brian trees called the kansas city star and said look this is a blatant lie yeah i think him and the police chief both did i think okay. uh, uh, yeah okay yeah, i do good for them yeah. yeah glad they did all right another story you published that i want to talk about that i and this uh, was published back in april uh but i but i think you know as as i listen to the callers who call into this radio station and the things that are on their minds this is a story that ought to resonate with them because this has to do with uh, uh, a story that you published regarding how the city of Columbia had been overcharging utility customers for improvements to our local power grid. Uh, they have been collecting that money, collecting a significant amount of money. Give us a background on that story. Well, it's pretty simple for people who remember the great transmission line fiasco of 2016, 15, mm-hmm. 16. Power and Light had a very well-vetted, put-together, multi-year plan to extend the electric grid to southwest Columbia. It involved uh, running some new transmission lines down the uh, north side of Naifong. And a group of citizens in the area, at the last minute after the project was well underway, convinced the city council to put the project on hold. That was in uh, uh Mayor Treese's very first year, the January of 16. The project got put on hold and then was never, nothing to this day has ever taken place since. So it's been on permanent hold. Now it's about to. City Council is going to take it up on May 16th. But the answer to your question is they were going to sell bonds in $66 million worth of bonds in two phases, half in one phase and then half a little while later when they needed the money. 
they were going to implement a 3% rate increase to electric bills to fund those bonds, to pay for them. They sold the, they, they implemented the 3% increase. They sold half the bonds. They never did sell the other half because they didn't do the project, but they never adjusted the rate. So that 3%. Well, they adjusted the rate, but in the wrong direction. Well, they since, increased the rate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They never yeah. adjusted it backwards. Right. They never did anything. Right. So they've been collecting that 3% has been generating twice as much as they needed to pay to service the bonds. Let me share some of the stories here. So the, uh, I'm reading directly from your your, uh, your piece. Uh, the city implemented a 3% rate increase in June of 2015 uh, and uh, later issued the first phase of the bonds totaling about $33 million. Okay, so I'm, I'm skipping ahead here, but it says the annual principal and interest payments on the bonds were issued in phase one total about $1.9 million annually. But the 3% rate increase generates about $3.8 million annually. So that to me in itself is a problem is that we're selling bonds. We're going to, we're going to pay for the bonds by increasing utility rates. But the 3% generates exactly twice what is actually needed because we only sold half the bonds. Okay. And so the 3% rate increase uh, generates about $3.8 million. The excess $1.9 million annually over the last six years has accumulated to over $14 million. It sits in an unrestricted water and light reserve fund that has grown from about $21 million in 2015 to $60 million today. You know, and there's, uh, you know, a lot of people in Columbia will know John Conway, who sat on the water and light board for advisory board for many, many years. He tried to raise this issue with the council. What happened? Nothing. Uh, nothing. Mm-hmm. There's a couple people from water and light, uh, Jim Windsor, John Conway. They pay close attention. They're very disturbed about what's going on. Uh, they think we're living by uh, getting by by some grace that we haven't had a 105 degree summer week with 80 degree nights to uh, get everybody's air conditioners run. They really believe that the grid won't be able to handle it. There's no backup plan in place. The result would be, they call it load shedding, which is um, their speak for rolling blackouts. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of concern with what's going on around uh, water and light. Uh, it's I'm also writing now, there's going to be very massive, almost like historic rate increases this fall, beginning of the year, at the, towards the end of this year, um, every fund is pretty much upside down and in danger, and it's all making its way to the city council right now, but we're going to see very large double-digit type percentage increases from solid waste, from sewer, from water, and from electric all by the end of this year. Even though there's a $60 million balance in that account, we're still going to see a rate increase. Yeah, because... What's happened is that account has, I'm working on this to be precise as we speak. I'm mm-hmm. trying to get something out on that, that yet this week. I think it's taken over for other accounts and because they're so upside down elsewhere that even with that amount of cash, they're becoming close to not having the minimum types of reserves that they're supposed to have. When we come back from this uh, break, we'll uh, continue our conversation with Mike Murphy, the publisher of ComoBuzz.com. And uh, we'll put a, a bow on this particular story and move on to some other issues that maybe aren't getting the coverage they deserve in our community. You're listening to the CEO Roundtable on 93.9 The Eagle. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. 
And welcome back to the CEO Roundtable Show. Fred Perry, your host this week. And glad that you have tuned in. We are having a great visit with uh, Mike Murphy. And I wish this was a three-hour show because we have so many things to talk about. Mike is the publisher of ComoBuzz.com. And again, that's C-O-M-O-B-U-Z.com, one Z uh, in Buzz. But uh, we've been talking about this uh, situation with the uh, utility company. Jim Windsor testified. I don't know Jim Windsor, uh, but uh, I recognize his face for working for the city for many, many years. Uh, testified before last Monday's city council meeting about um, the reality of uh, our goals to become 100 percent alternative energy in this community. It, it is a half-baked plan. It, it could be disastrous for our community. Well, it'll be interesting. There's a lot of pressure building, uh, people with good intentions. But, you know, we happen to operate a couple very major coal-fired energy plants. You yeah. know, we own them. Yeah. So the idea would be we would not use that energy and instead buy renewable energy. Mm-hmm. From uh, Russia. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> no, then and really. then we would sell that to somebody else and it wouldn't do anything to yeah. really reduce. So I'm working on that. Now, I want to do a fair job on that. And I'm, I'm working on it. There's a lot going on with that. There's a lot of politics uh, behind it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, interesting information out there on that. I hope within a week to have a really good story out on that whole subject. You mentioned in, in this particular article that there's a May 16th work session coming up uh, to talk about uh, the Water and Light Department. Uh, uh what what's the value of public input in something like that? Oh, I think it's going to. I think it's very valuable. Uh, the, the the city paid almost a million dollars for a consultant to study this grid issue, and they came back with about eight options to finally continue what was stopped in two thousand and sixteen. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the report is done. The recommendations are made. Uh, citizens panels made their recommendations and the city council is going to take this up in it's probably going to be some very long work sessions starting on may uh, before the council meeting on may 16th mm-hmm. uh it's going to be very controversial because those transmission lines have to go somewhere yeah. and it's to get power to southwest columbia and somehow southwest columbia has got that transmission line moved out of their area and moved into somebody else's area yeah. it's yeah. just not going to go well yeah well, um, I, I want to move on to a couple of different subjects as we're, we're running out of time here. But I, I want to talk to you about what are some of the other areas uh, uh, in our community that would really benefit from just a little bit more in-depth reporting, a little bit more attention from from reporters. Uh, I think immediately I just published an article this week uh, in, in Inside Columbia Magazine about the decline in our test scores in Columbia Public Schools that I don't think 98% of the people in our community really know about that 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 there has been this uh really this significant slide in our proficiency scores for the last six years in columbia public schools and i don't blame the teachers i blame i i I, it's a leadership problem that uh, needs to be addressed but uh is something like that on your radar it's on my radar i have a hard time knowing what to do about it Mm -hmm. uh i think that you need an expert so the school districts are really good at propaganda. Oh, working. yeah. Yeah. And people are really want to believe that their school is excellent. Yeah. You know, in their hearts, they want to believe that. Yeah. So and to get news that's going to resonate with people, it takes a real expert to get in there. There's been some citizens who've done a really good job um, mining some information there. I, I really think that some good reporting would follow the progressive uh curriculums that they put in place i don't think this is going to go away anytime soon uh it's going to be debated at our state legislature forever it's going to be a major uh issue in the uh, state house campaign this this summer and fall uh it's certainly 
It's certainly a big thing. I actually think the culture wars are overwhelming uh, uh, the uh, the whole idea that we better be looking at these test scores and getting performance up. Yeah, I. Um you know, I, I I wonder if it's if this goes back to journalism education, which, you know, Columbia is Missouri is the epicenter of journalism education. It's the first and foremost school of journalism. You know, they keep telling us. And and one of my I've always been very critical of the way that journalists cover business. Uh, I know that to get a degree when I was a student at the University of Missouri and and in journalism, you you didn't have to take a, a business class. You, you didn't have to know how to read a financial statement. Um, and I think that that really puts journalists at a disadvantage when they cover business and when they cover complicated topics like uh, where there's test scores or, or, or bond issues that, that pay for power grids. Uh, they just sort of skirt over it and they, they tend to avoid it. And, and so those journalists that don't have that proper business or financial education, they become editors and copy editors. And so the problem just sort of exasperates itself. And so, um, is there something I, I sort of uh, I suggested uh, we got some issues in our school district that maybe need some attention? What what else is sort of uh, maybe piquing your your interest? Well, I'm definitely interested in the elections that are coming up. I think that um, that's the most important thing that people can do is pay attention to what's happening. We have the ward, city ward three tie that's going to be done in uh, determined in, in the August primary, so that's going to perhaps change a seat on the city council that could. Uh, impact the overall way the city council operates. I think uh, I'm going to personally really dig into that and try to bring to people what the differences are between those two candidates and kind of make it a big deal. I'm kind of excited about that. I think people should pay attention to that. I, I want I want to respect your integrity yeah. as a journalist, but I want to ask you about that because I'm really intrigued by this, and and I mean no disrespect mm-hmm. to anybody yeah. when I ask this, but but here you have a candidate who has tied a uh, virtual tie with a long-standing third ward city council person in our town the candidate that is at a virtual tie is uh openly gay a cross-dresser a former drag queen all right but yet he has earned the same amount of votes as someone who has served on our city council for many many years Uh, that in itself is a remarkable statement and i don't i mean no disrespect to mr lovelady no i get it I think, and, and look at the uh, eclectic nature of the third war, third ward anyway. Right. So I'm looking forward to getting out there and, and really telling that story. It's There's incredible contrasts. And, uh, you know, that area has some very, very nice residential developments. And it also has our worst part of town a couple blocks away. Yeah. Is, is where most of our crime, our violent crime, crime takes place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and v- voters have a very, very, very clear, uh, there's some very distinct differences between those two candidates mm-hmm. and I, I really think uh, the voters in the third ward who are only those who really get to vote here but i think everybody should pay attention i think it's going to be a real slice of life out of columbia do you think that carl scala recognizes this tie as a sign of the great disapproval for the job that he's done on the city council no i think he thinks it's just a cultural change uh, anything else that's sort of uh, popping up on your radar? The state rep races, you know, th- this redistricting uh, in forty five and forty in the state house forty five and forty six, which is much of central Columbia. We have no race. We have uh, uh, the, the north side and the south side are uh, of seventy are pretty much are determined already. No competition. Yeah, but 
and 47 that comes in from the north and the west, that takes in a large, large part, almost the entire fourth ward of Columbia now is in that state house district. Mm-hmm. And then on the south side, anything south of the Hinkson Creek Waterway, that's in District 50. Both of those were held by Republicans, yeah. Chuck Basie one and um, Sarah, right. the, the Sarah other Walsh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, those could easily both flip from two Republicans to two Democrats, right. and, and even might likely will. Well, you know, the Fourth Ward uh, determined the outcome of the mayor's race, and, and that was very liberal, is very liberal. Uh, Chuck Basie has not had to deal with the Fourth Ward. John Martin, who I think is an outstanding candidate, mm-hmm. conservative, uh, the owner of Pro Pumping and Water, uh, uh, y- you know, you hear... Um, y- you hear about the issues in this and the conservative... Uh, General Assembly that we have, but yet Columbia is going to lose lose two of its six seats to to Democrats. I mean, Correct. they're going to they're going to flip. It, well, it looks like it. Yeah. Um, although I wouldn't count the Republicans out yet. I actually think there'll be a lot of money come into that general election, and it'll kind of be a a real war, and, and we'll see where that goes. Yeah. And then right on the heels of that, Caleb Browden is term limited next year. Yeah. And he we, he, we no longer have. Uh, Cal- Randolph County, Grand- uh, yeah. yeah, to go Cooper yeah. County, Cooper County to go oh, Cooper, along. You're right. Yeah, yeah to go along with that. It's Boone only. Yep. So that's likely to flip. It. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, what about this debate? Uh, any update on the, the 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 tension between Boone Hospital and the County Commission? I'm particularly interested in that one. Yeah. What's going on? I don't know. Um, I know there's some stress because the uh, hospital seeking seven million in ARPA funds and mm-hmm. and. Uh, there's some people really advocating that they should get those, and it's a good argument. The county's moving pretty slow. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not making any commitment. Yeah, they're sitting on $35 million. Yeah. I think that uh, Dan Atwell, who's uh, retiring at the, end of, at the end of this year in December, we have a race for presiding commissioner that's going to be very, very interesting mm-hmm. between... Uh, Kip Kendrick and, Kip and uh, Connie, Le- Connie Leopard. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it becomes a campaign issue during that race uh, where exactly they stand on the county's relationship with the hospital and what they'd like to see done there. Mm-hmm. That's probably, that's for this summer. Yeah. And I think that's going to be pretty interesting. Well, I think what will come out in that race, and, and uh, uh, I'm a little intrigued by this, but you know, we're also going to have a, a, a competing uh, race for the first time in a long time for county treasurer. Uh, so the governor has appointed uh, Dustin Stanton to be the treasurer. Jenna Riedel, who is the director of HR for, for Boone County, is running against him as a Democrat. Um, I think we're going to probably learn some stuff about county finances as a result of that race. And I think the, the issues surrounding county finances are really really the trigger issue in this whole Boone Hospital race. And so, uh, you know, does it does Boone Hospital need to continue paying rent to Boone County? Uh, that is that's the big question. And uh, are they in a financial position to do it? And does the county need the money? I think that'll come out. I think so, too. Even more, this the real uh, the county auditor position is open and, and those guys really have their hands on the financial situation mm-hmm. in the county. And that's Jason Gibson uh, versus who's in the office now versus yeah. uh, Kyle Riemann, uh, Kyle Ryman, I believe. That's going to be a very interesting race also. And those guys are going to have to do some uh, campaigning to win that. And I don't doubt at all that there'll be some discussion on what the right uh, path for the, the, that they believe the county should take. Uh, Kyle Ryman, of course, was at this, the epicenter of this whole debate uh, a year ago over uh, morale of city workers and the workforce, and, and he ended up losing his job as a result of that. Uh, so it, it's um, 
it's going to be interesting to see what kind of issues come out uh, as a result uh, of all of that. I'm looking forward to it. That, and that's what um, I'm kind of focused on. I think the defund the police argument is uh, discussion is constantly going on. I think this renewable energy is constantly going on. Where those ARPA funds are going to get used to is going to be interesting. Uh, we're going to build a homeless shelter. Uh, that's yet to be decided, the magnitude and the location of all that. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. And, of course, we're going to have to settle this trash issue sooner or later. Oh, yeah, here we go. There's another yeah. show. But, uh, folks uh, in the listening audience, we, we need to support these these types of journalism efforts in our community. And I, you know, I, look, I, I want to just I want to reach out and, and uh, just really encourage you to make an investment in Como Buzz because because we need this type of journalism coverage in our community because we are talking about things. We have talked about things in the last hour that probably a lot of you have known nothing about. And this is a surprise to a lot of you. And uh, we are living in a community where journalism uh, basically has has uh, all but died in terms of print journalism. And we just we need to get it back and so uh if you care about your community if you care about any of these issues we've talked about you need to look at uh, how you can support uh these efforts uh what's a way for people to find out more about you como buzz you can just get close it'll pop up in a a uh, google search go take a look we get plenty of free views before a paywall comes down you'll get a good look around um, i'm very transparent everything about me is out there everything about the publication is out there no surprises uh, I think you'll enjoy it if you go take a look. All right, Mike Murphy, thanks for your time. This has been a an edition of the CEO Roundtable. I'm Fred Perry. This is 93.9 The East.